All right, new series on Sunday nights, Training with the Twelve. Concept is that uh, Jesus selected twelve common men to be his ambassadors to the world and spent a couple of years training them. Uh, we are going to go along with them this year. And uh, that song that we just sang, Following the Footsteps of Jesus, is what they did for two years. We're going to see if we can do it for 12 months, an hour at a time, once a week, and uh, consider different situations, different topics that Jesus taught them about, and uh, maybe learn some things about ourselves as we go along. So last week we kind of introduced the concept, and tonight we're going to start meeting the Twelve. Uh, hopefully we'll just spend three weeks doing that. I don't want to spend uh, a lot of time on it, but I think it's important that we know who we're, we're talking about. So when we reference them this year, it'll kind of remind us of their character and their uh, personality and all of that and uh, learn a little bit about them first. So we'll start with uh, four of them this evening and see if we can keep that up for a couple of weeks. Uh, first, let's start with the group as a whole, uh, not individuals, but just think about the group of how special this group of men was. Uh, I think sometimes we kind of take them for granted or focus on their negatives and talk about doubting Thomas and Peter and all the crazy things he said and all of that. This was a very special group of men beyond what we normally think about or normally admit, I think. And I put a few thoughts down here that uh, this could be a, a month's lesson, just this little first part, but I just wanted to throw them out there and let you think about them in your spare time and realize who this group really is. I called it Common Men, Uncommon Calling. Uh, they were called for a very special purpose, but think about a few things. Uh, first of all, think about the fact that they were selected after a whole night of prayer, Jesus prayed a whole night before he selected this 12. Uh, we are currently selecting a youth minister, and we selected an overcrowding committee, and uh, we select groups of people every once in a while, and the elders spend some time at that. I don't think they've ever spent all night in prayer before selecting somebody. Now, maybe add all the time up, they do. But this is a pretty special group. Jesus himself went away, it says, and before he selected out of all of his disciples, 12 to be the special apostles, he prayed all night. Now, in Luke 6, where it's told, in verse 12, uh, it's translated, he spent all night in prayer to God. Uh, but... From things I've read, that could be translated a little better if it said he spent all night in prayer in the prayer of God. And when you read it that way and think about it, now you've got something to think about. This is the Trinity spending all night discussing which 12 men to pick. That's your assignment for the rest of the week. You resolve that in your mind. You just think about and try to figure out how'd that go. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are looking at all the disciples that followed Jesus and deciding those twelve. 
That's a big thought. That's way too big for me. But the Trinity spent all night discussing this. That's who we're dealing with. Uh, Another interesting thing about them is they became, in essence, the true spiritual leaders of Israel. Now, there's a lot that we don't know about, or I don't understand, about how the Israel of old is who's... There's a purpose all the way through in some sense. Paul just talks too much about that, about the church being the new Israel and all that. Uh, I've always kind of took it the simple way that, no, he was done with Israel and finished with them when they rejected him. He started a new, the church is the new chosen people and all that. I just kind of explained it away that way. Uh, But... Lately, I've read and heard some speakers and thought about it in a different way, and there's some kind of continuity to this concept of Israel all the way through the Bible. And this just makes it even more uh, believable to me. Uh, Look around. I'll read it to you. Luke chapter 22, if you want to look it up. Uh, Luke 22, verse 29 Uh, they're talking about, well, it was where they were talking about who was greater in the kingdom and all that. Uh, and Jesus said, in verse 28, You are those who have stood by me in my trials, and I confer on you a kingdom, just as my Father conferred one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And now, whatever that means, Jesus is tying this together with Israel. And I'll guarantee you the Pharisees and Sadducees and all of those guys sat up and took notice. Because that's the way they thought. The 12 tribes of Israel were it. Okay? And so when Jesus comes along and says, I'm starting my kingdom. I am from God. And by the way... These are my 12 representatives. Whoa. The wheels started turning. The the Jews heard that, that, whoa, something's going on here. And Jesus told them right there, I I just read it to you, they're on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel somehow. So symbolic, figurative, whatever it is, somehow these guys are the new spiritual leaders. And that's what they became. They preached to Israel. They preached to Israel and told them what they needed to do and became the leaders instead of the Pharisees and others that had been telling people what to do. Okay. Uh, Third thing I put down, they were the first preachers of the new covenant. They got to introduce a new covenant. Moses introduced the old one and pretty famous for that. Uh, These 12 got to preach the, the new covenant first. Uh, They became the foundation stones of the church. I think we kind of downplay that usually and say, well, Jesus is the chief cornerstone. No man can be a foundation. Well, he he said they were the foundation. Twelve foundation stones of the church. Uh, The term itself is important, I think. Uh, Greek for apostle is someone that is sent out, a messenger, uh, one who is sent, but it's a stronger word than just a messenger, just a courier. 
Uh, you give the telegraph boy a telegraph and he takes it to somebody. He's a courier. This is bigger than that. This is an ambassador kind of thing. Uh, this is an official representative. And the, I was studying the other reading somebody's comments, and they said in Aramaic it was even clearer. That's the language Jesus spoke. Uh, there was a word that exactly meant apostle in Greek, and it was a term that the Sanhedrin used. They had a shalia. He was their legal representative. And when the Sanhedrin would decide something, and I want to tell everybody that they'd send their shalia out, and the shalia would go out and speak for the Sanhedrin. That's the term in Aramaic for apostle. Now, this shalia guy was, in one sense, equal to the Sanhedrin. He spoke with their authority. Nobody questioned him when he told people, here's what the Sanhedrin says. He never had his own message. He just repeated what they told him to tell. That's the concept of, of apostle, of messenger, in the sense uh, that we're using apostle here, the, the shalia of the, the Sanhedrin. Okay. Uh, and especially tonight, I didn't put this one on there, but I think we've got to remember this one, especially tonight when we're talking about the least known of the twelve, uh, sometimes we think Peter was a great guy, and uh, some of the others we give a little extra respect to. But these guys that we're talking about tonight that we basically know nothing about were all great, unbelievable, fantastic, powerful preachers because that's what Jesus picked them to be. Jesus picked 12 guys to go different places to tell people his message. And he didn't pick any losers. He picked one that betrayed him, and the sovereignty of God is beyond me on all that, but you can work on that one too this week. But these guys were great messengers, great preachers, and we don't know anything about some of them. But just because we don't told much about them, I don't think we should... Uh, Show them less respect. We all understand the 12 are 12 very, very, very special men. All right. I decided to start with the least known group because I figured if we started with Peter, and we might never get done with Peter. We'd be on him for three or four weeks because he's got so many stories in the New Testament. Uh, we'll start at the bottom and work our way up. So we're going to work with James the Less, Judas, son of James, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot. All right, James the Less. Okay, I can tell you his name, James. I can tell you his father's name, Alphaeus. And I can tell you his mother's name, Mary. I'm done. That's all I know. <laughs> the Bible doesn't say anything else about him. We don't know anything about him. Uh, we're not told a story about him. We're not told what he did anything special he did, uh, to spend any more time than that, we have to suppose some things. We have to imagine things or go on secular history and try to learn something about him. And so basically we know nothing about James the Less. Now, we can spend all night on supposition on some of these guys, and uh, I put enough down here to 
You can study it as much as you want, but when you're done, you'll still be supposing because the Scripture doesn't say so. Uh, one suppose is in Mark 2.14, uh, we find out that Matthew also had a daddy named Alphaeus. So maybe Matthew and James the Less were brothers. Possible. If you want to suppose, you can suppose that. Uh, even a little more complicated, uh, if you read the stories of the women at the cross, they're listed a couple of places. Mark lists them and Jude, John lists them. And they both list Mary Magdalene, who was there with Mary, the mother of Jesus. And then Mark lists another Mary. Well, both of them list another Mary. Mark lists a Mary who was the mother of James the Less and Joses. So that's where I get James's mother's name. And John lists another Mary who he says was the sister of Mary, the mother of Jesus. Now, why the names are exactly the same, I don't know. There must have been a nickname for one of them or something. But it says she was the wife of Clopas. Now, if you really stretch it and say, okay, maybe she married again, or maybe Clopas was just another term for Alpheus, then Jesus and James would be cousins. Some people think that and teach that, that they were cousins, and uh, there was a lot of relation in the twelve. We'll get to James and John later. And the last supposition is, what's his name mean? He's called the less, your translation may say the younger, and it meant all of those things. Uh, could mean short, could mean small-framed, could mean younger. Uh, he might have been, probably was younger than James, the son of Zebedee, so they called him young James or little James. Uh, James, the son of Zebedee, was big James or James the older or something like that. All that supposition. We don't know. But he could have been related uh, to Jesus or Matthew somehow. And then the only other thing we can get about him is in secular history, legends uh, say that after all with Jesus happened, uh, he traveled to Syria and Persia. And uh, nobody's got a one story on how he died. Some people say he was beaten to death. Some say he was stoned. Some say he was crucified. So... Uh, once again, all that's legend and history. So James the Less, we know very, very little about him. Judas, son of James, is another one we don't know much, if anything, about. Uh, in fact, all we know about him is that he asked one question in the upper room. That's the only story in the Bible that tells us anything about Judas, son of James. In John chapter 14, uh, he asked Jesus one question, and that was it. Jesus answered him and went on. Uh, he's got nicknames, which is kind of interesting. Uh, the lists, and I gave you the four lists last time. Two of them call him Thaddeus, and two of them call him Judas, son of James. Uh, one theory is, and it's a little bit of supposition, but I think it's more of a theory, is that after Judas did what he did, people didn't want to call this guy Judas anymore. Okay, Judas had a bad ring to it. Uh, in fact, the one time that John refers to him in John 14, 22, uh, he calls him Judas, not Iscariot. <laughs> there were two Judases here, and he references Judas, and he says, Judas, not Iscariot. Now, don't get confused. Don't think he's the bad one. Now, this was the good Judas. 
But one theory is maybe after Judas did what he did uh, that nobody wanted to refer to him anymore, so they started calling him by his nicknames, Thaddeus or Lebius, uh, which possibility. Uh, Secular history says that he went north up to Mesopotamia and to what's now Turkey and that he healed the king there. There's quite a few legends about that and some historians wrote about it that he healed a king named Abgar and uh, that he was clubbed to death is how he died. And all of the apostles have symbols and you can find different lists of their symbols, but uh, one of his is a club because he was supposedly clubbed to death. All right, so, so far, our first two, we know one question that they ask. Uh, we don't know much about the first two, folks. Simon the Zealot, we know a little bit more about the folks he hung around with, but we don't know much about him either. Uh, two of the lists call him the Zealot. Two of them call him the Canaanite. But that's kind of a bad translation. It doesn't mean he was from Cana or from Canaan. Uh, there's a word, Ghana, or Gina, which means zealous, and that's what they're saying. So the two lists call him Simon the Zealot, and the other two uh, call him Simon the Ghana, or Gina, which is a zealous person. So all four of them say, this, is, this guy is zealous. Now, maybe it was just his personality. Uh, maybe, you know, we know people like that. They get fired up about everything and are ready to go, and they got a lot of zeal, and whatever they start, man, they're into it 200%. Maybe that's how Simon was. But most people, most scholars think, no, because of the way it was used in that day, that they're talking about him being a member of a political sect. Okay. Uh, Josephus says in those days there were four political parties, if you will, among the Jews. Uh, the Pharisees were the ones that were real strict about the law. They kept the law really, really close. Uh, They were religious fundamentalists, but they would deal with the Romans. They'd make deals with the Romans, like when the Pharisees went to uh, the judge and tried to get Jesus prosecuted and all that. They'd do things to play politics. They'd kind of go along to get along. Sadducees uh, were the religious liberals of the day. They didn't believe in the supernatural, didn't believe in heaven, any of that. Uh, They were generally richer, and the aristocrats, uh, they ran the temple. uh, And we find them and the the Pharisees teaming up sometimes and sometimes fighting each other. Uh, There was a group called the Essenes, who were ascetics, uh, celibates, lived out in the desert, uh, they just studied the law. That's all they wanted to do. Uh, they're not mentioned in Scripture, by the way, but Josephus tells us uh, they were a political party of some sort. And then last was the zealots, or zealots, uh, who were extremists. Uh, they were militant. They were violent. They wanted to overthrow Rome's rule over them. Uh, they wanted a Messiah to come defeat Rome. Now, the zealots were a lot like Pharisees in the way they interpreted the law. They were strict. The law said it, that's what it was. But where the Pharisees would cooperate with Rome, these guys hated Rome. They wouldn't deal with Rome. They they had nothing to do uh, with Rome. Uh, 
So we know Simon was 99% probably a member of that party, of that sect, before he came to Jesus. But we're not told anything else about him. So we're kind of 0 for 3 here on learning anything uh, about these apostles. Uh, I did a little reading on the, the zealot party, and I thought it was interesting enough to give us a picture of what Simon might have been like that I want to share a little bit of it with you, not in great detail, but a little. Um, like I said, they were like the Pharisees, but they wouldn't, they wouldn't compromise on anything. Uh, they basically believed only God had the right to rule the Jews. Okay, so the Romans coming in and ruling the Jews, they were usurpers. They, they had no right to do that. They wanted the Messiah to come lead them out of this mess uh, and wanted the Romans overthrown. A lot of what we know about them comes from Josephus, the historian, and uh, in his writings about the zealots, he says that their leader was Judas the Galilean. Now, it's not Judas Iscariot or the other Judas here. It's a different one. Um, and he said about them, he said, they agree with the Pharisees on almost everything about the law and how strict they ought to be and all that. But overall, they want liberty. So that's what they're hung up on is, is they want liberty and that they want to be ruled by God. And then he got kind of interesting. He said, they fear no kind of death. And they don't fear their relatives or friends being killed in any way. That doesn't bother them. If it's for the cause of overthrowing Rome, doesn't bother them. He said, they will call no man Lord. And that's what the Romans wanted you to do, was bow down to Caesar, acknowledge him as God, uh, represent respond to the governors like they were somebody special and, and all of that. And Josephus said, these guys will call no man Lord. He said, there's nothing you can do to make them call somebody Lord. And after he'd written all that about how they didn't fear anything, he said, I'm going to say no more about their fearlessness uh, because most people know of it. And he said, but I'm not going to say anything more about it because I'm, I fear being disbelieved. He said, I'm going to say no more about it because anything I say is beneath the resolution of these guys. He said, I can't explain it, how hardcore they are. He said, so I'm not going to try to tell you any more about it because whatever I said, they're harder core than that. He said, they... Won't give a quarter. That tough bunch. And they wanted to overthrow Rome. Now, Judas the Galilean was their leader. And back in AD 6, he led a revolt because of a census tax that the Romans put on them. And he caused all kinds of trouble and killed a whole lot of Romans and stirred everybody up and all of that, uh, mainly through guerrilla warfare. Terrorism, we'd call it today. But the Romans finally killed him, and they crucified his sons. Now, uh, interestingly, he's mentioned in Acts chapter 5, the story about Stephen before the Sanhedrin, uh, when Gamaliel goes in, remember? Or before the story of Stephen. When Gamaliel goes in and the apostles were in trouble with the Sanhedrin, Gamaliel goes in and says, hey, calm down. 
You know, if these guys are from God, they're going to succeed. But if they're not from God, we don't need to worry about it. And he quoted a little history. He said, well, in fact, let me look it up here because it's interesting. Acts 5. If you like history, it's kind of interesting. Okay. Uh, Acts 5, verse 36, Gamaliel says, so Some time ago, Theudas appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. But he was killed, and his followers dispersed. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He, was too, he too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. So Gamaliel says, these guys come and go. And he listed Judas the Galilean as one of them. Now, what Gamaliel didn't put in there, or didn't know probably, was that the zealots really didn't go away back then. They just went underground. And they were a secret society by the time Jesus came along, or by the time Simon was an apostle. They were a secret society of assassins, basically. They called themselves the Sicarii, which meant uh, dagger men. They carried daggers in their cloaks, and any time they could catch a soldier or a Roman politician looking the other way, uh, and they could get away with it, they'd slip up behind him and stab him in the ribs and into the heart and kill him. They were dagger men. Uh, That's who the zealots were. Now, whether Simon was a fringe zealot or a hardcore leader or what, we don't know, but that's the kind of guy he was. Uh, At least that's the people he hung around with. He was not a... (laughs) A compromiser of any kind. He certainly didn't have anything to do with Rome, wouldn't have anything to do with Rome. And that becomes extremely interesting, especially when you see Simon and Matthew on the same team. But Matthew was at the other extreme. He was a traitor to the Jews by working for Rome. So I think knowing that about Simon makes the whole mix of the twelve more interesting uh, one other thing about the zealots, just because I thought it was interesting, I'd never read it before. Uh, when Titus destroyed Jerusalem in AD 70, most people blame it on the zealots because it got so bad that most of the Jews wanted to compromise and negotiate uh, with Titus, but the zealots wouldn't let them. And if a Jew tried to negotiate with Titus, the zealots would kill him. And so they were so hardcore that they wouldn't give in and negotiate, and Titus saw it was impossible. He finally said, I, I, I'm not getting anywhere with this bunch. So he just leveled the place. He just destroyed Jerusalem. He gave up because the zealots were so hard-headed and one, one way about everything. Okay, last is our famous friend Judas Iscariot. Uh, his name is in every list of the apostles, and it's always last. He always gets last place. Uh, he didn't make the list in Acts 1 because he had already died, so Luke didn't even list him there. Um, every time he's mentioned in Scripture, somewhere in that Scripture, it mentions that he's a traitor. Uh, as if we had trouble remembering it. Uh, points that out about him. He was different than all the rest. He was a non-Galilean. All the rest of them seemed to be from Galilee. In fact, that's what his 
nickname there or surname means Iscariot, means man from Kerioth, which was a town not in Galilee. We are told a little bit about Judas. Don't know near as much about Peter and James and all as we do about them, but we're told a few things. Uh, we know he was greedy. We're told about his avarice in a couple of places. John chapter 12 is an interesting story. Uh, Mary comes into the dinner and uh, opens a bottle of very, very, very expensive oil and pours it on Jesus. And Judas says, whoa, whoa, that was dumb. He said, we could have sold that baby for 300 denarii. And you just dumped it out. And a man's wage in those days was about a denarii a day. So this was a year's wages. I mean, that's an expensive bottle of perfume, folks. And not only did Judas note it, it said that all the other apostles agreed with him. All the rest of them said, yeah, we could, we could have used that better. Uh, we could have fed the poor with that. Okay? And you remember what Jesus said about it. But anyhow, that was the complaint. Now, the true intentions are interesting. Uh, John said later, and it looks like I forgot to give you the... No, John 12, it's in there. John said in the next verse, in verse 6, he said, but he didn't really want it to feed the poor. He said he would have stolen it. That's why he wanted to sell that bottle of perfume, because he had just stolen it out of the treasury. So he was a thief and, and greedy. Uh, second story is in Matthew 26, uh, about him selling Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Exodus tells us that was the price of a slave. So he wanted money for things. He just didn't want to betray Jesus. He tried to make a little profit off of it. Uh, he was a hypocrite, uh, the way he behaved. Uh, if you read the story of the uh, upper room closely, uh, it's interesting. It seems that he went out somehow and made the deal with the Romans, got his 30 pieces of silver, and then came back in and acted like nothing had happened. He just slid right back in among the other 11 uh, and Jesus and pretended nothing happened. And a little later in the dinner, you remember, Jesus said, one of you is going to betray me. And all of them at once started saying, is it me? I guess, is it I, is what King James says. Is it me? Am I the one who's going to betray you? And one of the guys saying that was Judas. He said, is it me? Yeah, pretty good actor. Uh, he was a hypocrite. His betrayal was kind of indicative of his nature. Luke 22, it said that he looked for a time when the multitude wouldn't be around. And maybe he was just doing that because that would be easier for the Romans, uh, but probably he was doing it because he was a coward. He knew the multitudes loved Jesus. And he didn't want to be betraying him in front of the multitudes. So it says he looked for a time, he agreed with the Romans to betray him, and then he looked for a time when the multitudes wouldn't be around. And then the second thing is in Luke twenty-two forty-eight, 48, uh, even Jesus commented on this. Uh, when you betray somebody, uh, that's kind of a low-down thing to do, but if you say, I will betray him by going up to him and giving him a kiss, that's kind of special. Uh, diabolical is the word I used. 
And when he did it, even Jesus said something about it. He said, Judas, you betray me with a kiss. So we're getting a little picture of Judas' character here. He wasn't, uh, wasn't too upright. And his death, you read about his death, the only reason I put that down is because there's two versions or two uh, tellings of it, and they seem to disagree a little bit. We get a lot of questions on Know Your Bible about that, but they don't really. They all go together fine. Uh, and he died a, a coward's death, if you will. All right, supposition. Uh, we don't know anything about where he came from, how Jesus picked him, how he started following Jesus, whatever. The rest of them, it tells us that they hung around with John the Baptist some and they got introduced to Jesus and all that. We don't know anything about that for Judas. So we can suppose that maybe he came to him because of his political leanings. There's a supposition that since Simon and Judas are always listed together in the lists, maybe they were partners. When Jesus sent them out two by two, maybe Simon and Judas were always the pair. Yeah, once again, it's supposition. It was interesting to think about. If so, who would hang around with Simon the Zealot? You know, somebody that hated politics? I imagine Simon talked about that every once in a while around the campfire. And you probably kind of had to like politics and have similar politics to hang around with Simon. So if all that's, and I know that's a lot of ifs, but if all that's true, uh, then maybe Judas had the same political leanings, and that's why he came to Jesus. Uh, He thought, okay, this guy can lead us out of this. And then maybe because he felt like he was an outsider, and maybe because Jesus didn't overthrow Rome, uh, Judas got disillusioned and decided to betray him. And with his greedy character and his hypocrisy and all that, it worked out. Now, of course, all of that reasoning leaves completely out the sovereignty of God. So you figure all that out the way you want to because Jesus picked him with God's foreknowledge. Okay, a little legacy from Judas. We don't have any legacy from the other three because we don't know anything about them. Uh, But I'd say Judas could teach us one thing at least, that you can look really good. You can hang around Jesus for two years. Uh, you can hang around him real closely and still be a mess. Still be trapped in sin. Still be off doing things that you know are completely against what you're showing you look like. And one thing we know that how good he was at it is when Jesus at the Last Supper, Matthew 26, uh, when Jesus said, one of you is going to betray me. Nobody in the bunch said, I bet it's Judas. Yeah, nobody, it never even entered anybody's head. They just started asking, is it me? They didn't have any candidates. If Judas was like we kind of picture him, uh, it seems like at least one of them would say, ah, Judas, he's been acting a little squirrely lately. I bet he's the one. you know, Or he's never really been on board with this. But he he didn't come up. They thought of him just like one of the twelve, evidently. In fact, John didn't know about his greed until later he pointed it out, and the Holy Spirit probably told John then instead of him noticing it. So anyhow, very, very close to Jesus. Absolutely not part. He he was not uh, walking worthy of his calling, let's say, if uh, you want to put it in Sunday morning terms. 
All right, we are done with those uh, four, and the challenge will be if we can do the the next eight in two weeks. Uh, We'll tackle the middle group next week, and then we'll tackle the four fishermen uh, the last week, see if we can get them done in one lesson. Thank you for your attention. If you're here this evening and need to uh, respond to the Lord's invitation in any way, we'd be happy to help you with that. If you need the prayers of this family, we'd be happy to help you with that also. Whatever you need, I'll be at the front to receive you. Carl's going to lead us in this good song. Let's stand and sing. <laughs>